you just British hey, flip dude. me off? Ah, it's a peace sign, isn't it? <laughs> no, this is the peace sign. Okay, I had it back. This is war. Jog on. That's the war sign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just a peace sign upside down. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. How's it going? Not doing too bad. How are you? It's chilly. It is chilly, so uh, I definitely want to talk about gardening first, if we want to hop right in. Yes, gardening. A million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent and for some reason, a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, Randall, you could be really good at this and you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. Well, so I'm making a lot of like old guy involuntary dad noises today, right? I'm a little sore <laughs> because I did a bunch of garden prep yesterday. Okay. And Outside? Yes. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Kedwell. And it is the end of February here in Chicago. And one of the things that I would recommend, which I didn't realize was a thing, but my wife knows this stuff better than I do and she recommended that we get a soil test done on our backyard our lot that we're on has been reconfigured several times over the course of the history of Chicago right to the point where you can see the edge of a sidewalk or possibly where there was a a driveway like in the middle of the yard right you can see the shadow of that so whatever we have raised beds we didn't plant any food plants directly in the ground in the backyard but we you know have raised beds that we put dirt into and whatever for last year it turns out that when we did and you can go to home depot and buy soil tests that are fairly cheap uh we have like ten thousand times the amount of lead in our backyard soil than is recommended as safe right not that big a deal as long as you're not planting any food plants directly in the ground right fine so what I did yesterday is we have this, it's got to be seven or eight feet long by four feet wide by three feet deep, maybe two feet deep, raised bed. We have two of those. And then we have another one roughly the same size that my wife built out of wood because the other two are metal. I removed all of the dirt from one of them, put it on a tarp, put down a uh, root barrier plastic tarp permeable membrane thing yeah and then put all of that dirt back in because the dirt that we put in there doesn't did not come from the yard so it's not you know doesn't contain so much lead that you can sharpen it and use it as a pencil <laughs> that took me about three hours i was careful because i do tend to get way into projects that hurt myself uh and it was nice enough yesterday during the day in chicago that by the time i was done i was sweaty even though i was just in shorts and a t-shirt and then it snowed three inches last night yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yep. So uh, last year, ladies and gentlemen, if you are longtime listeners, you'll remember that I planted like six varieties of tomato, and I put them in pots that I had filled with organic potting soil that I bought at a you know hardware store or whatever. So I'm not worried that any of those tomatoes had uh, lead in them. We had grown a bunch of sunflowers directly in the ground, but we didn't eat those sunflower seeds. That was mostly for like a visual fence and also it attracts a lot of squirrels and pollinators and stuff so that was cool we didn't touch those and anything that we did grow for food was in those raised beds so it was not 
lead-filled, but this is just a way for us to be extra careful. Now, is there anything that you can plant that will um, absorb the lead that you can then, like, that's organic that you can then send to the garbage, out in the garbage? I don't know. I know that things like mushrooms are great for soaking up radiation. That's been a thing that they've used at, like, Chernobyl and Fukushima. But it's so widespread in my backyard. Really, the solution is to have the entire yard dug out to about four inches, put that sort of a permeable membrane thing down, and resod the whole thing. And I, that's way outside of my, <laughs> like, I could do it. That's probably the simplest thing I could do. Do I want to? Absolutely not. So, uh, I mean, at some point, it looks like what probably happened was that our backyard was either part of a road, and people just drove over it. Or it was part of, like, a parking lot of some sort. And there was just dripping, leaded fuel oh. from, like, the 60s. You know? Yeah. We don't know uh, the answer to that. And also, it's not terribly important. It's just that we know now, don't plant food plants right in the ground. Yeah. Interesting. I Which, did not something I thought to do here, but I might have to run to Home Depot and get one of those doodads. It is also, like, it is ever so slightly worrying because the chickens do scratch around in that dirt and they do eat stuff that comes out of that dirt we looked into it and it appears that chicken eggs don't transfer lead the way that plants do plants will simply draw that up as like part of the minerals and nutrients and stuff they get out of the ground but it doesn't really go like from the soil to a plant to a chicken to an egg like that's not a straightforward progression where you get all that lead so we're still okay eating the eggs from our chickens. Mostly they eat the food that we buy them anyway. Which is good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, worst case scenario, we might need to build like a platform for them to be on and then put a bunch of like straw on top of that to just at least keep them off of the ground. But that's a, a bigger project to not do when it's snowing out in Chicago. Because again, classic Chicago, it's been very warm, like... 50s and 60s and then it snowed three inches last night and by because it's saturday right now by tuesday it's going to be 60 degrees again yeah but just for a day and getting down into like the 20s and stuff overnight it's uh yeah. crazy crazy yep so how are you it has not been long since we recorded this half a vacation that i'm on has been working out great for me yeah <laughs> i'm doing well we just got word that the couch we ordered um we think we'll be getting on wednesday nice to go with our uh, redone living room, so um, so that is nice. Yeah, um, we were gonna tell me if this is a bad idea. We were gonna maybe start some seeds today. So that is a great idea. I will be doing the same thing. I, in the past, ladies and gentlemen, if any of you out there are avid gardeners or professionally grow food, holy smokes, we want to hear from you. Best way to get a hold <laughs> of us in the weeds wbr at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. My Instagram, where you'll be able to see all of the seeds that I'm about to start and all of that. Chef Ben Randall. I'm on there a lot. And then Steve runs a website for us. In the weeds, WBR.com. So I've gone all the way to like last year. I built an, like a greenhouse in my basement out of a six-foot-tall metro rack. And I bought this big zippered tent thing to go over it that was transparent on the front. And I had grow lights and all of this stuff. And it worked out okay, you know. This year for uh, Three Kings Day, my wife got me a seedling heated mat, which I'm uh -huh. going to be using. 
as well as strings of LED grow lights so that I can sort of uh, uh, configure the, the greenhouse a little bit differently. But I will be setting that up either today or tomorrow. And in the past, I have gone all the way to getting like those peat pots that you start seeds in. You know, what I did is I brought home um, egg cartons from work because we get yeah, the... uh, our, our eggs in these cases that are 15 dozen and each one of the trays is 30. So I can start a bajillion seeds. It's going to be great. And they're the um, papery ones? Yeah. Yeah. And the great nice. thing about those is you just plant those things right in the cardboard, right in the ground. Yeah. Or if you have uh, highly leaded soil like I do in a raised bed. Yeah. (laughs) We have saved a bunch of yogurt containers. Oh, nice. um, To use for the because last last year we tried solo cups, Um, which I mean, we did get plants, but um, it was harder to keep keep them warm and everything that needs to happen for germination. So we did end up with a relatively decent amount of, of plants. But I also got some raised breads, uh, breads, raised breads, nice. also good. Yeah. But uh, some raised garden beds I haven't put together yet for uh, between the sidewalk and the road on the uh, sunny side of the house because um, we don't uh, the we had the ones that I had up on our side of the sidewalk uh, at some point in toward the fall, late summer, the house starts to shade them. Ah. Yeah. Um, so if I move it away from the house a little bit, um, then some of the one we'll just be able to produce stuff for a little bit longer, um, without the shadow of the house, um, shading them for however many hours of the day. So, um, yeah, we did, uh, so I have to put those together and, um, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to get a few more germinations. Is that... So as far as raised beds are concerned, here's something you may have known that I did not know that I learned recently. And I did do this yesterday. So it, I would recommend that, um, that membrane to put in the bottom of your seed bed, whether or not you're going to get a um, soil test, you never know what's in that soil, right? And so if you are going to be trying to grow organic or you want to make sure that you're sort of in control of what's going into your food, putting one of those down is great because nothing goes up through it, but water will go down through it, right? And then roots won't. The next thing you want to do is you put that down inside of your raised bed, then put a layer of just like cardboard, but you want to get the brown cardboard, doesn't have any of that plasticky... um, like logos or any tape or anything on there then sticks and branches and stuff like that and then put your soil on top of that because it more closely resembles what a plant would encounter as it's putting roots down anyway and you're not putting as much dirt in there and so you're not having to buy tons and tons of dirt i had no idea i thought you just had a box and you filled it up with dirt turns out no you have to like stratify it there's layers involved and such nice i did not know that that is that's good uh um, good advice. I also here's here's a question because again I'm I'm still new at this, but this is what else uh, some other things I had planned on maybe pouring in the bottom of it. I do have some of that membrane because I wanted to keep the dirt from leaching out of the uh, like the really uh, elevated like on legs. I got yeah. two of those oh. last year, and they're like yay. And then when this when this little thing pops up, you need to drain the water from out of it. And so one of them I put the membrane in because I was I was just worried about like the dirt falling down and clogging something. Yeah. Some, I don't know if it would have or did. I don't know if it helped at all. But anyway, I do still have a roll of that stuff. But what I also have, um, because I've been waiting to empty them and to try to figure out how to recycle them, are um, two tubes of activated charcoal from my used water water filters from okay. my whole house filter that I thought I could sprinkle in the bottom. That shouldn't hurt anything, should it? Is that a bad idea, a good idea, indifferent? Uh, 
I mean, if it is something that is food safe for your water source in your house, it should be fine. I don't know if it would have a negative or positive effect, but it would be mass. You know. Yeah. Um, I the just one thing would... that I I have heard from because now you know Instagram has realized that I'm into gardening, and so I get fed all of these gardeners <laughs> and, and greenhouse companies and stuff like this. One of the guys uh, from Texas has been talking about how the weather has shifted in Texas because of climate change, which is a real thing. And it gets colder more often. And what he's discovered is that when he puts cardboard and leaves and sticks and stuff like that in his raised beds, as those materials decompose, the beds stay warmer. I thought, oh, that's cool. Nice. But I don't know what activated charcoal would do. I've also seen recommendations of lightening the soil with perlite, but I don't know what that means. That's just a word that I know. (laughs) Uh, How would you spell that? P-E-R-L-I-T-E. Oh, okay. Yeah, it is a... Uh, um, it's that it's white an... styrofoam-looking stuff that's in, like, potted oh. plants that you buy. Oh, okay. But I don't know it's what it is. Natural filtration system allowing excess water to drain away while retaining a little moisture and catching nutrients that plants need to grow. One of the things I'm going to be really careful about, because I was very aggressive with my watering when I started my seeds in my makeshift greenhouse last year, is I got fruit flies and I got mold and I got mushrooms that I did not try to grow in that system. So I'm going to be a little bit more judicious about how much I water uh, my seedlings as they come up, you know, just because it, it turned into a jungle, which is fine, but I wasn't trying to grow like moss, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that we got, we got a little moss as well. One actually then sprouted the uh, zucchini plant. I think that was starting to get a little, uh, mossy on top and i i just i blame i had to do so i did get a couple trays now because we have the smaller cups that we'll be doing i got a couple trays uh that were uh cheap at menards that i can put a lid over for like yeah. a more of a greenhouse kind of a situation uh, instead of the solo cups with saran wrap over the top uh plastic wrap for those of you who weren't around when saran wrap was a thing or didn't have right. relatives like i did who called it saran wrap so uh yeah that the i'm sure the lid is going to make it a lot more uh, a lot easier to get in and out of versus the uh uh plastic wrap but um uh mushrooms would have been something that, i mean those spores would have had to been present in the soil right yeah. so yeah um you just made it uh cozy enough for them to to want to sprout as well Right. I mean, from my adventure yesterday of emptying those boxes and then lining and refilling them, I actually had, so they're, they're three and a half gallon tubs, the ones that I grew the mushrooms, the the mushrooms, the uh, tomatoes in last year. I filled up six of those with extra dirt from those boxes because I bought organic, you know, soil as well as mushroom compost, which is really good for uh, uh, starting up a box and making sure that there's plenty of those nutrients and stuff in there. Mushrooms are great for nitrogen, I believe. And so uh, if we do get mushrooms growing up in that box, I will absolutely know why. And it's because there's mushroom compost in there. (laughs) Yeah. Will you then just cut them and throw them in your compost? I'll probably cut them down in place because they don't really hurt anything. And uh, honestly, outside, it's unlikely that they'll grow because the temperature and the sunlight and the humidity will shift so much. But um, yeah, it doesn't really hurt anything. One of the things I'm going to do this year is I'm going to plant one box that's entirely tomatoes. I'm going to do a bunch of varieties of tomatoes, but I don't think that the like buckets that I grew them in last year had enough depth and support for the plants i think that was one of my problems with that so i'm going to do a thing that promotes 
fruit growth, which is once they're eight or ten inches high, you start cutting off the bottom leaves because you want the stem to sort of harden up a little bit, but you want the plant to really focus on going up and producing fruit. And then I'm going to grow a bunch of stuff underneath it, like dill. And um, there was one, like a creeping thyme because those attract pollinators. Okay. And then I can I can eat those things as well. Yes, also true. The and pollinators. I can eat those bees. Uh, <laughs> the idea will be to use those essentially as cover crops, essentially as a way to just attract pollinators and keep other weeds down. And so then that, also... That's the plan. Hopefully maintain some uh, moisture as well, right? If the yes. sun's not baking the the roots. I also learned that you're not, because I did this last year, you're not supposed to water your tomatoes from the top. You are supposed to bottom water them. So I'm going to do that this year too. Because the leaves, I mean, whatever, it's a plant, so the leaves can get wet. But the longer they're wet, the more likely it is they're going to develop a very particular type of fungus that grows on tomato leaves. Okay. I don't know if I saw that last year, but I will not do that then. Okay. I believe um, a few places in Amsterdam are dedicated to bottom watering. Right, right. Um, I know that that was true. I did get when I for my hollyhocks, which I'm still trying to grow along my fence row. I mean, they're growing. I just am waiting for them to really fill out. But the first year I did it, I got uh, hollyhock rust. Oh. And that was one of the things they said was to not to not water them on the top to make sure you're just watering the ground and not the which is a lot easier with hollyhocks because they're yeah. pretty tall. One of the things I'm going to do this year, I bought these like probably gallon and a half, um, you know, terracotta pots. And I'm going to, because I have a an oregano and I have a thyme and I have two basil plants. And I'm going to load them up in those and I'm going to stick them outside and I'm not going to pay that much attention to them, but I want them to totally overgrow. I want them to just go fucking bananas because one of the things that I've discovered is that I, if I have them, will use dry herbs no problem. And I have a dehydrator. So... What I will do, oh, sage as well. I have a sage. I need to transplant it because I put it into a pot where the dirt, I don't know where I bought this dirt. I really should start writing this stuff down, but the, the soil I bought was absolute garbage. It's like, it's as though somebody was like, well, we have all of this extra clay tennis court soil. Why don't we just <laughs> yeah. label it garden dirt and sell it to people? And these this poor plant just struggled, but if it comes back, because it's currently frozen in the backyard right now, if it comes back, I'm going to transfer it out, shake this, the, like, uh, spray the dirt off of the roots as best I can and transfer it into some nicer dirt. Because I would love to have a bunch of herbs growing in the backyard that I can continually sort of trim and dehydrate and, well, I mean, use fresh while I have them. But then, like, one of the things that I want to do this year is really get, like, a bonkers crop of tomatoes make my own marinara, make my own pizza sauce, put it in jars, have it ready to go. I made, it was pizza and a movie night last night. I made my own sauce because I had gone to this Italian deli not far from me and I bought a can of San Marzano tomatoes and it was just fresh garlic, fresh basil, balsamic vinegar, sugar, olive oil, those tomatoes, salt, blended it all up and that was our pizza sauce. I could take all of that, stick it in a jar. Yeah. <laughs> just have it ready to go. Yeah. And if you end up making any that's purple definitely we need pictures oh man absolutely you kidding me purple tomato pizza sauce fuck yes i will and intentionally grow purple basil to go into that <laughs> now i mean there's no guarantee that it's going to be a good tomato for saucing right right because right. some some are better than others for that but uh um yeah I'm, i i am interested like i really hope one of the things that they did when they were like horribly bioengineering this tomato was that they also decided to make it 
really prolific, right? Like, I hope that it just makes a billion tomatoes. I, one of the things I think is cool about it is that, I mean, it, they're not, uh, it sh- it's, it's going to grow to type from seed, right? Yeah. So um, they, they didn't try to uh, make it so that you have to go and, and buy more seeds from them all, um, all the time. They, they seem to have been like, we wanted an uh, extra healthy tomato. Yeah. And um, we want it to be everywhere. It's interesting. The um, purchase of those seeds came with a like an implicit contract, right? So on the back of the seed packet, it said something to the effect. This is in my Instagram somewhere because I thought it was kind of wild. The purchase of this product implicitly, you're agreeing to not sell these. You're agreeing to not grow these for commerce. You're agreeing to, and there was a bunch of stuff like that. And I was just like, who do you think? Do you think that I am? like monsanto and i'm like i'm buying these things from you specifically to like reverse engineer them fucking chill out purple tomato people oh yeah reverse engineering a tomato that would be interesting so i mean what i'm planning on doing is not using all the seeds right so they 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 sent me there's no way they sent me like six seeds right cost me 20 bucks they better not have so uh i'm i'm going to save some of the seeds that I purchased, right? But then I, like you said, I will also attempt to, like, take at least one of the tomatoes, take it fully ripe, take the seeds out, dry them out, and save them for next year and see if that works out. Oh, found it. Okay. Beginning of the month. Seed use terms and conditions. This is on the back of the actual package. Thank you for joining us on this journey to build a nutritious future. You have agreed that there is to be bold, no commercial use made of these seeds fruit or plants including any derived varieties you have agreed that the seeds and plant material bold must remain in the united states there are no warranties coming with these patented seeds so first off they're telling me well last off they're telling me yo this might not work (laughs) yeah but they're also telling me i have to keep them in the states i can't sell them and i cannot derive anything from them that makes me want to midsummer this year take a flower off of one of the heirloom like organic ass ancient tomatoes that i have and cram a lamb it onto this purple tomato and see what comes out because it yeah. could be like little shop of horrors yeah i think they're saying it's fine for you to do that you just can't sell it yeah. and i mean yeah. just if you have it in your garden there's a chance that could happen anyway right with the pollinators so, going from one to another? Correct. One of the things that I am going to do is, because I was worried that the three and a half gallon bucket was not providing enough space and structure and whatever for these particular tomatoes last year. So the purple tomatoes I am going to keep out of circulation. They're not going to be in like Gen Pop, right, with the other tomatoes. I'm going to put them into a five gallon bucket and keep them off to the side somewhere else. Because just like the last thing I want is to be growing organic uh beautiful heirloom tomatoes and then suddenly one day look over and they're all purple right like that's not what i'm looking for however a little experimentation might not be a bad deal too you know yeah um and the answer is at least according to the website 10 seeds ben you get you two bucks a seed oh no no yeah two bucks a seed i will plant five of them and see what comes up then there you go how much? So when you do tomatoes, so if you're planning on growing a, uh, do you do beefsteak? Is there a reason to grow beefsteak tomatoes? Aren't so, they big and tasteless? <laughs> uh, the ones you get at the store are, but they must come from somewhere, right? So it's kind of like every um, stereotype. 
must come from somewhere. So there, there is a beefsteak tomato called, it's something boy. Is it early boy? That I grew last year. Had these little yellow, uh, like, flames on it. That thing was amazing. There is another one called German Johnson, which I grew, and those ones were also amazing. But yeah, it's a big, fat, like, sandwich-sized tomato. So those I grow for just general eating. I tried to grow San Marzano tomatoes last year. The plant put out a lot of them, but then they didn't ripen, which was weird, and I don't really understand that part. I still have those seeds, so I'm going to grow those again this year. I also bought an organic Roma. Those are both sauce tomatoes, so the San Marzano and the Roma, those. I'm looking at you, San Marzano and Roma. You're going to be pizza sauce and marinara. And then I always grow cherry tomatoes just because they're cute, they're fast, you can just pick them and eat them, and yeah. Um, now, our... Uh, Roma plant um, also because we started a little late last year so it had a lot of tomatoes on it It was getting close to frost and it's like I'm going to cut all these off and what internet told me and this actually did prove true put them in a paper sack in a dark place and they will ripen yeah Um, so we did that and then also Kayla made a bunch of um, she did freeze some or I don't know it's freezing I don't know if she froze them she made we made some green tomato things some sure. some are better than others. <laughs> and then she also made a green tomato jam. Oh, okay. And then just recently, what she did as an experiment, which actually I thought turned out rather well, was she did the infamous, um, it didn't come from the Cadwells, but the infamous Cadwell sweet and sour meatballs, <laughs> which okay. is just chili sauce and grape jelly yeah. and meatballs. But instead, she she added a few extra spices, but it was chili sauce, her green tomato jelly, oh, and meatballs, and that was much more palatable palatable to me than uh, the the grape so grape jelly version. So I don't know whether it was the added seasoning, but the grape jelly version for whatever it's just never never done it for me. Yeah, you have to like grape jelly, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I mean, and I don't. It's like I can do a grape peanut butter grape jelly peanut butter and jelly sandwich, fine, but uh. I don't know what it what it is about that that just is like a, no thanks. <laughs> huh. So, I mean, when when picking the tomatoes to grow, you really have to think about usage, right? So, like yeah. for me, I really could take any tomato I want to and make a marinara or a pasta pizza sauce out of it and put it in jars and whatever. But like, my family doesn't eat a lot of tomatoes. Just like I'm gonna eat a tomato, right? I will bring tomatoes into the house if I am planning on doing a specific thing. Like a BLT. I made BLTs earlier this week, and it was great. And I have one tomato left, and I'm going to make another BLT. The uh, I make like a, almost like an Israeli salad, right? So cucumbers, red onions, cilantro, mint, tomatoes, uh, garlic, lemon juice, olive oil. But my wife and I will eat that, and the kids look at it like, that looks pretty fucking healthy. I don't know about all that. <laughs> but for the most part, like cooked tomatoes, unless it is pizza sauce or pasta sauce, doesn't really go anywhere in my house. My kids just don't go for it. And I was trying to think about it, what my mom used tomatoes for, because she always grew a lot of tomatoes too. She would always wedge them up. We had a salad on the table for dinner every single night. That's one of the glorious things about the way my mom cooked. Iceberg, shredded carrots, cucumbers cut up, sometimes peeled, sometimes not, and wedged up tomatoes. And then she had this Italian dressing in a mason jar that she would just continually add more dried herbs and and red wine vinegar and salt and olive oil too and then shake it up i don't think it's ever actually been exhausted and the jar has been washed <laughs> out ever 
but that was always on the table with dinner and you took what my mother called a no thank you helping which was you took about a half a helping of of what would be like a normal salad amount and yeah i ate a lot of raw wedged up tomatoes as a kid in that salad i should start doing that for my kids i guess well how how many tomatoes can you catch up oh i can make a lot of ketchup my daughter eats ketchup like you wouldn't believe she's real brand loyal to heinz 57 though man i'd have to get real close to that for her to dig it well if she participated do you think that would uh engender any affection probably yeah if it was like her recipe yeah if it was hers yeah she she goes for that she falls for that uh because that's another tomato uh, definitely a thing you can do with tomatoes kayla did end up making a little uh ketchup out of something um we had uh what else is a tomato thing if you're not just eating it i mean do you uh, you would be you'd be heating to make ketchup, right? Heating it yeah, somehow. Yep. Um, I mean, I can also just like with most tomatoes, if it fits in a jar, you can peel it, put it in the jar with a little bit of water, and just hot pack it like that, and just have tomatoes for later. And so I may do that again. I'm sort of counting on having this huge bumper crop. I don't know if that's going to work out. We'll see. You could sun dry some and uh, try to get that fad going again. <laughs> totally could. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could just put some in the dehydrator and just have dried tomatoes you know yeah and I, I made a tomato powder last year out of some tomatoes i cut them really really thin and put them in my dehydrator and that was cool like i put them on the outside of a sourdough that i also had put feta and herbs into so the sourdough itself ended up tasting kind of like a pizza that was pretty cool yeah sounds like it to me we have a um you know what you do you buy a bag of spinach at the store and then it gets a, into your fridge and then you don't eat it and it just sits there and then it turns into a bag of spinach soup and you throw it away before it got to that point i actually put the entire bag of spinach not in the bag but i put it onto the racks and put it in my dehydrator because the last time this happened i was able to powder it and i made spinach powder i put that into a sourdough that was actually really cool made kind of a spiral on the inside it was very neat nice we got some spinach seeds so we're going to try to grow some spinach and see how that works we've had a lot of success with growing spinach you have to be careful obviously every animal in your area is going to try to eat them but yeah spinach it you'll look out there and you'll be like oh the spinach is starting to come up and then you'll look out there the next day and you're like i have to harvest all the spinach right now (laughs) so be prepared for that but uh, especially after it rains your spinach will pop but yeah it it is was a very successful crop for us last year uh we also are gonna plant something i've i have to decide where uh because another just cadwell family lore when we lived in stanwood I don't know whether we planted the entire garden or whether some of it was there when we moved in, but we tried to do a garden in the backyard. Um, and I think with, with some some success, yeah, uh, like carrots and probably beans and I don't know. Carrots for sure. I forget what else was there. But a part of that were like four, well, at least three, we'll say three rhubarb plants. Okay. Um, and I, because I remember... Uh, hacking it off or or you know pulling one out and we knew not to eat the leaves yeah <laughs> although Kay looked up you have to eat 11 pounds of rhubarb leaves for it it's to, a lot uh, yeah yeah and it has to be a very young plant or, um, or a very old plant one way or the other yeah i'm a bad uh, horticulturalist <laughs> you're a horrible culturalist <laughs> that's um, also true uh so at some point um my dad was like ah we're done with the garden or whatever and it was he he did everything he could to try to get rid of that rhubarb 
and nothing worked. <laughs> he mowed over it and it just kept coming back and kept coming back. And so uh, Kayla knows this story because I told it to her. And uh, so I, I got rhubarb seeds and uh, she was looking it up and it was like, yeah, it says online that um, it is a very hardy plant. <laughs> and uh, yeah. if you if you plant it, uh, you know, just just know that it's it's there. It's going to be there. The good thing is it's not like it gets huge. It's not like um, uh, like a squash. Are, pumpkin, yeah. That sort of well, thing. And there's one like ornamental flower thing that just sort of takes over. I forget what it's called, but it, it's good. For, uh, um, hummingbirds love it, but it's um, it's like a not not wisteria though that that um, creeps along too. But we we have so there had oh, been a, morning glories. Yeah, it could be. We had we had, someone had planted one. It was gone when we moved in, but they keeps popping up throughout the yard in different places, and I keep uh, trying to get rid of it. And it's like, yeah, to really get rid of it, you got to get rid of the roots, and you have to dig two feet down to get the roots. So it's uh, yeah. I took a picture in the old house of this beautiful little purple flower, and I was like, oh, this is so cute. And the very first comment when I put it up on social media was, "Kill that thing with fire. That's morning glory. It'll take over your yard." And I was like, get out of town. <laughs> it did yeah <laughs> they're insane uh so just to make sure that i'm not giving people bad information rhubarb leaves contain high amounts of oxalic acid which can cause health problems up to and including kidney stones bad scene uh so it, while you do need to eat a lot of the leaves it's best to just not also i hear they're not great oxalic acid is uh, not tasty the stems also include that but nobody ever eats them raw the problem seems to be that people treat or used to treat the rhubarb leaves like a salad green and the raw nature of it made the oxalic acid that much worse. And so the fact that rhubarb always gets cooked because otherwise like it would be like chewing on the worst celery ever. It seems to break down that oxalic acid somehow. Um, we would do that. And if oxalic acid is like citric acid, yeah, it's real tart. It yeah. is, uh, cause yeah. it, it was not, not something you'd eat, but you'd like take, and you'd just take a bite and suck on the just a little bit and then you'd throw it as far away from you as you could. So rhubarb made me think of my mother grew rhubarb on purpose. And then that made me think of strawberry rhubarb pie. I am uh -huh. trying to grow strawberries because I saw a thing. Like I, I follow all these people on Instagram who are like, do this extremely complicated thing. That's got like 11 steps and then you'll have your own strawberries. And I'm like, yeah. There's strawberries at the grocery store that are just like right there. But I did, I had a, I had like seven or eight strawberries left in the bottom of a container that were starting to go. So I cut the outsides off very thinly, put them in my dehydrator at a very low temperature, like 80 degrees, gave them like two days, used tweezers to pull, fuck those tweezer chefs, by the way, this is what <laughs> you use tweezers for. I pulled the seeds out of those strips of, of strawberry that i had cut off and i have those planted in this weird rectangular it's almost like a window box except it's just too wide to fit on any of the windowsills in my house and i keep trying to grow stuff in it and nothing works in that shape of thing but i planted strawberries in there and if they actually sprout i'm just going to move the whole thing outside and just see what happens because i think strawberries are more of a shade crop so there's an area right next to my hvac system the outside like furnace not furnace but the heat sink and uh, air conditioner machine that just it gets okay sunlight but it's, there's just nothing over there so i might put the whole strawberry box over there if they grow out of there let them trail over into the ground because i know strawberries do that thing where where they touch the ground they grow roots yes and if i could have a strawberry patch in that weird little corner that would be amazing <laughs> knowing that the neighborhood cats and raccoons and squirrels and possums will just eat them anyway but like it would be cool to have that 
Now my, the, I feel like the strawberries are the only thing that um, took it took root when my folks tried to do a garden recently. Uh, but they were all so small, um, so that's why I was like, I got rhubarb. But the plan was, and the plan is for pie. Yeah. Um, but you know, I was like, we'll just buy strawberries because I don't want to <laughs> try my with the luck my parents had. So if you have luck, um. You'll have to let me know. The best strawberries I ever had were in Plant City, Florida, during Strawberry Festival. Um, so, if like if you're like one of these people that you want a food vacation in terms of when is it being harvested, let me go. Um, it was a roadside stand. They had all kinds of strawberries out. It's Florida, so I think it may have been also the first time I had like a strawberry that was warm, because you know they're just out on the stand and it's Florida, so it's not chilly, not refrigerated. Yeah, and. Uh, it was they were huge and they were so good. <laughs> yeah, if you have any success growing them, then you you're gonna have to let me know. There's so you just said Plant City. There is a place. Is this it? There's a place not far from me, which is this bonkers, bonkers. Uh, there we go, Jungle of Niles. It's up on Milwaukee, and it is this place is monstrous, and that reminds me. There's a couple of things that I still need to get, so I should go there today because uh, if I want to get my um, what you call it uh, greenhouse going today, there are certain things I need. I need more trays that go underneath them and whatever. So uh, that place is honestly fun to go to, even if you're not looking to buy plants. They have like this massive <laughs> aquarium in the middle that's got like a giant snapping turtle in it and all these fish and stuff, and. The place is wild, so maybe I'll get my daughter to go with me, too. Um, I I have yet to happen upon any of those, like, minivans that are stopped alongside of the street here in Chicago where they're selling mangoes for a dollar or whatever, when I also have cash on me. I see them. There's one that's not far from where my daughter goes to school. And depending on which way we go home, I always see that guy, and I'm like, oh, I don't have any cash, but he's got, like, flats of strawberries. And, like, these 25-pound bags of onions and stuff, and I'm like, ooh, I wish I had some cash on me. <laughs> so I should probably get, like, 100 bucks and put it in my car and just leave it there, it, just in case I run into one of those guys. Also, if you're headed north out of the city on Milwaukee, past Devon, past Superdog and all that, during the fall, there's always four or five pickup trucks full of apples right along that stretch. And I keep forgetting to have cash on me. Bothers me. I that uh i don't see that niles <laughs> which yeah. is a surprise to no one oh um, no you just get uh corned beef fest yeah, yeah was it was that that's uh over in uh new buffalo new buffalo right yeah who can corn the best beef yeah what is going on in new buffalo that's that's where all that stuff is that you've been sending me right so like yes yeah. those weird dining pods and like the yoga classes and all that weird stuff yeah, that may have been, when I looked it up, it may be South Haven. So they may have just been advertising on the New Buffalo Facebook uh, page. But yeah, New Buffalo, Michigan seems to be like a a happening place for uh, unique... <laughs> the weirdest shit possible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we were we talked about food festivals not too long ago. And I guess corn... I mean, I, I'm not against a corned beef festival. Yeah. It just... New Buffalo doesn't seem like the, the, the place where... Uh, it would be most uh, like I, I wouldn't expect it. I'm just going to. Yeah. So I'm just going to read this Facebook post that you sent me because like part of me is way in support of this. And part of me is like, 
who are you weirdos, right? <laughs> so I'm not going to name drop this person because there's no point to do it. But uh, you're right. It is someone reaching out on the new Buffalo, Michigan Facebook page to get people to come and work in South Haven. Okay. Hi, I'm looking for people who want a side hustle gig at Daydreamer Domes, my new business in South Haven. I'm looking for folks that want to teach classes of any kind. So far, I've gotten goat yoga, sourdough bread making, sound baths, reiki. We just did a high tea and hat burning this weekend, parentheses sold out. And I have mead making and essential oil distilling coming up, so nothing is out of bounds. Please reach out if you have a skill you'd like to share. Looking for yoga slash water aerobics instructor. Specifically looking for someone to lead our high tea and croquet parties must be proficient at croquet. <laughs> Everything about this feels wide-ranging and at the same time strangely specific. Now, yes. having said all of that, Daydreamer Domes Resort, Michigan is... Pretty much what you would expect. It's a bunch of geodesic domes in South Haven that, you know, are being billed as being part of this resort. They're clearly sex domes. <laughs> That's There's nothing else. Enjoy 14-foot ceilings, heat AC, full indoor bath, luxury linens, mini fridge, desk, each with a unique design. No two are alike. That's for hooking up. Yeah. 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 And South Haven, um, I mean, what's going on in South Haven then, I guess? (laughs) I do not know. Um, But yeah, it is it. And I think you're right. If if it were focused on one thing, if it was like yoga instructors and other like fitness type things. Yeah. um, But then you throw in high tea and hat burning, which I didn't know old ladies had a burning man. Uh, There you go. Yeah. Um, which I presume is what that is, right? Uh, if you're doing high tea and a hat burning, isn't that just the old lady burning man? I say we don't look it up and just presume that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and then we burn the wicker hat um, <laughs> with Nick Cage inside. Uh, right. And uh, <clears throat> so if it were all tea-related things or or that sort of thing, that would also be but um, one thing. I guess maybe tea and croquet might go together. Yeah. Uh, but then you throw in the yoga and uh, at, at what the one thing that I didn't know what it was, uh, started Reiki. to be your, Reiki. What is Reiki? I do not know. Uh, Reiki Vic. I, is ju- a, I said that. I said that with all the confidence of somebody hoping everybody else knew what it was. And yeah. I was not the guy who was not cool. Maybe they just it autocorrected from or didn't autocorrect and they meant raking. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, all of those things seem like such an interesting hodgepodge of activities. That I guess um, refresh you after you get it on in the pod? Reiki means universal life energy. It's an ancient healing method that manipulates energy flow in the body. Reiki practitioners believe there is an energy force in and around the body. They believe that there is a flow of energy between the Reiki practitioner and the receiver of the treatment. It appears to be somewhere in between massage therapy and like acupuncture there appears to be like pressure point body mapping kind of stuff okay ancient technique that i guess fits with yoga perhaps or the sex tent thing yeah yeah (laughs) now if what they want to do because this place just opened up if what they're doing is throwing all the spaghetti at all the walls and the most popular things are eventually going to become a standard menu fine like, I, I totally see that happening, where they're just like, what's the weirdest shit we could possibly do? Who wants to pay for it? If nobody wants Reiki, we stop doing it. If nobody wants to burn their hats, we stop doing that, right? 
I'm not surprised that like the sourdough class was totally sold out. That makes sense given our current culture and structure. I still have people easy once a month saying, hey, can you teach me how to make sourdough? And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess. (laughs) It's unless I come to your house and spend like 10 hours there with you, you're not getting a real lesson, but I can point you in the direction of the right videos and resources and stuff like that yeah (laughs) yeah i mean baking is definitely a hands-on activity yeah again sex uh domes why not also making bread if you could make a geodesic sourdough i mean i'm sure you could probably get a form yeah the the frankenstein pumpkin forms yep do they make those in um cast iron or something that you could throw a sourdough in and make a frankenstein sourdough gotta be or you could use like those wilton um bunt cake pans and do one in there you can make a a sourdough bunt because a lot of them are they don't have like the pipe in the middle of them and so it'll be like a castle or it'll be like uh you know the top half of a cupcake or whatever so yeah i'm sure you can find one from halloween that's like a big skull like one of those sugar skull kind of things i'm sure you could find that you're usually baking it not in a pan though aren't you right it's just it would, on a sheet? Yeah, it would make more sense to do like a regular leavened bread in one of those and because uh, it would be easier to know how it's going to behave. So this is what I want to trend for 2024. We've talked about some other... I don't know if we did food trends for 2024 or not, but this is what I want. Um, you know how the big one of the big things right now in, in some uh, niche of the internet is, is it cake? Um and there's a thing that someone made yeah. to look exactly like a shoe, very appetizing. <laughs> and then they, it's not a shoe, it's a cake. Well, take your foot out of it. Yeah. Um, uh, and no, I'm not going to eat that. So my the thing I want is, is it cake? Um, but it's actually bread. It's always bread. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's it's bread to ma- made to look exactly like a cake to disappoint children everywhere. I thought this cake was going to be delicious. It's just white bread. But then again, white bread with frosting is probably going to be fine. They'd eat it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Guaranteed. So, uh, you know, I don't... Did we do trends for 2024? The only thing we did as far as trends for 2024 is concerned is we talked about uh, the death of service. But we didn't really put it that way because that's not exactly what we meant anyway. Um, We talked about how full service restaurants are, in this country at least... Not only kneecapped by the whole tipping culture, but the power structure there has turned fully to the benefit of the customer. To the point where you've got people making the federally mandated $2.13 an hour being yelled at, like aggressively, angrily yelled at by people who, that's why they go out. They go out not to be taken care of, but because they get to exercise this minuscule amount of power they have over somebody who also has no power to change the thing that that person is angry about, right? Yeah. Like, there is a subspecies of human being in the United States worth studying. Get Jane Goodall on the phone. <laughs> worth studying who go out to eat knowing they're going to have a bad time. They have made this happen to themselves. They are going to exercise some of their personal stress that comes from their work or their family or whatever by screaming at a 22-year-old woman who does not dictate the prices of the menu, who does not write the menu, right? Like all of these things that are completely outside of the server's control, all this person wants to do is yell at somebody and get their rage out and then deny that person a tip, right? 
So that's what we talked about, that that whole notion is leading to more and more restaurants going, you know what, fuck them. We're doing counter service. We don't care what type of food we make, what style of service we had before, what, quote, level of, of kitchen we believe we have. We are, you order at the counter, you pay before you get your food, we'll call you when it's ready. That was really the only prediction that you and I had. Yeah. And we've seen evidence that it is not that far off, right? Right. So I, once again, belong to this Facebook group called Chicago Hospitality. And for the most part, it is servers complaining about tips, people looking for jobs, people advertising things that are ridiculous, like uh, models for very, very sketchy things things and then they get removed from it uh people offering jobs and then they always get made fun of for how much they're not paying and then there's one dude in that who is constantly putting up articles this one comes to us from business insider written by Corey mintz dining out is about to look a lot different subtitle restaurants need to evolve to survive but you're gonna hate what they've got in mind so this article, the short story on this article, is it is exactly what you and I had talked about. I hate to say that we called it, Steve, and I hate to say that we're on the cutting edge and we are come <laughs> on the pulse, but, like, yeah, that's where it is. So this article, and I, I definitely recommend that you read the full article, ladies and gentlemen. A lot of good information in here. Short story on it is everything Steve and I have been saying for two years now. It's hard to find people to work in restaurants because during the pandemic, many of them quit their job and found a different job, quit the industry and went back to school and found a different job, or died. There's just fewer of us doing this work. Also, lots of toxic chefs and restaurant managers that I am encountering online are going, it's just so tough to convince kids these days that restaurants are a good career path. And it's because it's not. <laughs> it absolutely is not. People are not stupid. And they're looking at restaurants and they're like, no, I saw the bear. Fuck you guys. I'm not going to work there. Fine. When a restaurant is faced with, I cannot employ enough servers to cover all my shifts. When I do, the customer base, these absolute garbage people who come into my restaurant, all they want to do is yell at the hostess, yell at the servers, yell at the bartender, have a bad time, and then leave either stiffing us completely, leaving us a bad review, not giving a tip to the server. Like, what is the way to solve all of these problems in one fell swoop? And it's go-to-counter service. It is, you've got one person who is a full-blown adult, right? Like, one of the, I feel bad. For hostesses in general, right? Like you're a 17-year-old young woman, because that tends to be how it is, and you have the most irate, insane, whiny people in the world yelling at you about something that's totally outside of your control, right? Yeah. You put a full-blown adult who's making a living wage at that counter, and the person comes up and wants to order something, and they're like, yeah, but can I get this and this? And that person goes, no. <laughs> right you're not going to get that out of some untrained 17 year old kid you're going to get that out of somebody who has a stake in the restaurant right you and i talked about this you and i said this is probably how it's going to go you and i are actually i believe pretty big fans of this idea yeah and now it's more and more turning into a thing where restaurateurs are not even apologizing anymore they're just like we're changing this because of the way you people have treated our staff so if you don't like it eat somewhere else fuck off and I think it's also a good um, – it, 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 things don't have to stay counter service forever, but I believe 
I'm fine with it. Like, like I said, or like you said, you know, we're fans of it. It's not, it's not like I have any issue with counter service, but I also see that counter service could be a good uh, intermediate step to uh, stop the addiction the country has to uh, service the way that we've yeah. known it for however many years, because uh, it, you walk into a counter service. When I walk into a counter service restaurant, I have my expectations are immediately set to a level in terms of service, not right. food, because you can get right. a you know a whole wide range of quality or types of food at counter service. Um, so the fact that it's counter service to me doesn't tell me anything about the quality of food I'm going to be getting. Um, the same with food trucks. It used to be that food trucks were considered like a lunch truck at a construction service with, you know, the sandwiches cut in half and put in that plastic, half of a square plastic thing with the <laughs> cellophane over it or whatever. Yeah. Like that was a food truck. But food trucks anymore, I mean, you can get some amazing food at food trucks. Oh, yeah. um, so counter service, you can get amazing food at counter service. Uh, but it does definitely tell me – it resets my expectations in terms of uh, what the service is going to be, what's required of me versus what I require of the restaurant. Right, right. So I think it's a good reset. And another thing I think – I mean one of the, I think, mind-bending things here uh, or mind-blowing things here is uh, not only the disparity in tips between uh, ethnic groups in terms of servers. Yeah, yeah. But another study found that the tipping hourly income of servers exceeded the pay for line cooks by 112%. Right. Which seems remarkably unfair. Yeah. Well, and that's, and I understand that it's not true, but that's always been the feeling of back of house versus front of house is back of house is doing all the work, front of house is making all the money. That's always how we've felt. Now, it's not true. However, what is true is that servers, it's not even that it's 112% of the take home and all of that. It's done in less time. So if a cook works 10 hours and makes a certain amount of money, and in four hours the server makes 112% of that, that's where the like emotional impact is. Yeah. Where you can watch somebody walk in on a Friday night, swan around, serve some drinks, make way more money than you do in 10 hours, and then they go home and you're mopping the kitchen. Like That's where resentment comes from. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and in some ways, if anyone listens that's not in the industry, that you work in an office somewhere, um, it's I feel like it's very similar to what goes on in a company with it's like, why is the salesperson getting this huge commission yeah. for such little work? Especially because in a lot of, I mean, it, it's not uncommon. I don't know how prevalent it is, but it's not uncommon for someone to make a huge sale, take the commission, quit. And then, um, you know, months later, you're finding out that all these promises were made to whoever the sale was to. And it's like, yeah. what? No, that's, that's you know, we don't do any of these things. Um, you know, uh, this isn't something that, that we can fulfill, but they're already gone. They've, they've you know, they took the money and ran. So uh, in some ways, I guess the tip is the uh, server's commission. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, because they're the salesperson. But um, anyway, so used to be servers got a ten percent tip, and then if they did a real great job and you were feeling good about it, you gave them more than that, right? Then it became twenty percent, and I'm not really sure when that changed, but it became twenty percent, and that became the standard. And now, in the last like let's say four years. Tipping has become much more of a threat and a hammer than anything else. Like 20% is not guaranteed. And people are, customers, are using the tip structure as a way, again, to exercise their own demons. And so in many cases, like there's no, uh, 
incentive to be a really good server anymore because it is so random based on just like how good of a day that customer is having and again like you said expectation what they expect when they come in and the minute any little thing goes wrong to them could totally be standard operating procedure for the restaurant but if it goes wrong and they've decided it goes wrong then there goes your tip and it's like you know what now it's not merit-based. Now it's not a, a an indication of, you did a good job, here's the money I owe you. Now it's just whimsical. Now it's just, yeah. I have decided what I'm going to, that I have had a bad time and I'm not going to pay you for it. And not only is that gross, but like I applaud any restaurant that's not allowing that to happen. That is either taking tips away or is going to a... Uh, counter service model because you know what you can't do is you can't argue with the menu prices if you order a steak that costs 17 bucks you better be prepared to spend 17 bucks yeah but if you order a steak that costs 17 bucks and then you know you're gonna tip 20 percent on top of that that's where people are like oh no no i'm taking that back like well how about you fuck off instead go buy a steak and make it at your house because these people need to live i still am wildly against tipping and i've become much more judicious in the way that i tip while i'm out we talked about this before like now I am a little bit angry at the tipping culture in as much as if I go to a coffee shop and I'm buying two pounds of unground whole bean coffee yeah. and I'm getting a drip coffee cup that comes with it, I'm not tipping the person behind that counter who I know is making $22 an hour already because it's not a tipped position. And they spin that thing around and 20% tip is already highlighted. I, I'm not going to do it, but every single time I almost want to just laugh because – no, uh, it, it, unless you're making the federally mandated minimum, or which in Chicago it keeps going up, which is great. But like, unless you are in a tipped position, I'm like, if I go, like, I went and got an oil change earlier this week. Did I tip them? No, I did not tip them. They did a job. I paid for the job. That was it. It's not a tipped position. Yeah, agreed. Um, I forget where I was. Oh, we we, we did cookie. We did cookies, which was ended up being at the mall where we got cookies, and I did. Uh, that it had a tip thing there, and I was like, "Well, there's no way this is a tip position." I did give them a dollar though, because it's like you have to put up with mall people, um, so I'll give you a dollar for that. But it wasn't that was, uh, you know, not a. Uh, we we bought way more cookies than we needed. We were like, "Hey, let's experiment," and it. That, I told you about the super super sweet cookies. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, but yeah, I I agree, and um, uh, oh, I felt like I was going to say something else, but I guess we'll, I'll move on a little bit. Um, which is why, um, because this is one, counter service is one way. Another yeah. way you sent me another article um, is to go fully automated. <laughs> and uh, there's a flippy restaurant in California, right? Cali Express. Cali Express. And it's the thing that... In Pasadena, California. I laugh just in terms of uh, um, how just automatic some stuff is is the guy who i presume owns the place or runs the place like the it's fully automated they're advertising this as being fully automated and there's a tip screen yeah and he tipped and the guy's like you're gonna you're gonna tip the robots <laughs> it's like no if if your food is being made by a robot do not tip because that Correct. is not going to that that's just lining the pockets or lining the inside of the porsche of the right. owner well, and so, you know, this is this is Cali Express, robot-made burgers and fries. Their slogan is, eat the future. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I still, it's this whole, this whole thing still bothers me. Not because I'm like, oh, robots are taking our jobs, whatever. I don't really care about that part. Um, 
it's the engineering of it, right? It's still a fryer basket full of fries being held by a, an arm, an armature, designed to look like a human arm. That's dumb. If you're making robots that are going to cook food, make a robot cook food the way a robot would cook food. Make that arm the fryer basket. There's no yeah. reason for it to be a separate part. That's a point of failure. That's where it's going to fall apart. Uh, I don't know. Would I eat at a robot restaurant? Hell yeah, I would. But do I think that this is being designed by people who have really taken a step back and thought, okay, what is the best way? Let's give the robots an option. If we ask the robots what's the best way to fry fries, is this what they're going to do? Because they're not. They're going to be like, why would I make a human arm? I'm a robot. Why would I make a human arm to do a human thing when I could do a robot thing instead? Yeah. Well, and the thing is, they, the designers of Flippy, and maybe maybe it's because they want Flippy to be versatile. Well, I'm sure it is. They, they want you, as someone who owns a restaurant, to be able to install a Flippy to interact with what you have in, in your space already. Um, so right. they were they were looking at it saying, how can we get a robot to do what a person does instead of looking at it, what you're saying, which is how do we get a robot to cook food? Because they if that were the case, what they'd be doing is how do we make a robotic uh, fryer? Right. Um, that's going to be doing all of this. Um, and McDonald's, I feel like, does this somewhat in their um, thinking, because one of the things when you watch the, the, their little video or, or whatever that um I don't know if you sent that or if it was on the website, but I thought it was so funny when the robot arm like shakes the basket. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I understand that that's part of the thing, but that's such a human yeah. thing like to, to shake it or whatever and then put it in and shake it. And it's like, why? Why isn't there something attached? I mean, those fry baskets should be on some sort of conveyor that the fries get dumped into it. It moves over. It goes into the thing, shakes itself a little bit. It comes out when it's done. It moves over and it dumps it. Yeah. Um, that's robotic frying. This is a robot that's trying to be a person. Well, and so that's why this is not a restaurant. So Cali Express is not a restaurant. It is a showroom for the people you were just talking about. People who are thinking about adding some automation to their kitchen. Yeah. Because this is not, this is a fully built out restaurant that's entirely populated by robots. But like we were just saying, that's not what you would do. You wouldn't put human shaped robots into a restaurant that you're building from scratch. You would make it so that the fryer has a flat or a short basket underneath it the fries get dumped into that and then it lifts itself out and then like you just said it moves over and dumps them out it wouldn't have a human looking arm in there what this is is this is an expo for people who are considering putting something like flippy in their restaurant to come and look at it and see how it works in in real time this is like how pepsi owned hotten now because they wanted to try out goofy ass flavors of pepsi and they were like well we can't just have people drink stuff so we're also going to make goofy food <laughs> but hotten now was never designed to make money it was an expo place for people to try out you know whatever goofy stuff pepsi was thinking about making it was a a, a, a test market so that's what this is this isn't a restaurant ladies and gentlemen don't make any mistake cali express is not going to show up all over the place now because it's going to be this huge money maker for this company. What they want to do is not sell food. They want to sell these robots to people who are already making food. But they need to be jury-rigged into their spaces. Yeah. That's the part that bothers me. All the reporting on this is, oh, restaurant of the future. This is not the restaurant of the future. This is barely a restaurant. It is a showroom floor for this shaky arm guy. Yeah, and the restaurant of the future serves a hamburger, a cheeseburger. Same thing on both. Yeah. Other than the cheese or a lettuce wrap, which is the same thing without the bun and fries. <laughs> it's like that's yeah. those are your options. And I guess if it's a really good burger, 
I think it's, wasn't it, I, I can't find the video now, but I feel like Flippy was doing the fries, but something else was doing, I'm sure by the same robotics company, but something else yeah. was doing the uh, the burgers. Now, they do have a fully integrated machine, which this I applaud them for, that grinds the meat and then has like a waffle iron sort of a setup where it's a heated plate on top and a heated plate on bottom that cooks that burger. It's going to cook it twice as fast as you would on a flat top. And the fact that they're grinding the meat right before it gets cooked, that's great. So that is what we're talking about. How would a robot make a burger? That's how. Yeah. So what what are the, what meat are they throwing in there? Well, that's the question, right? Like, is there a service guy missing who went in there to, like, oil up all the joints and <laughs> yeah. now that's the burger meat? I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, that's the – I mean, that's the Starbucks espresso machine, right? Um yeah. You you push a button, it grinds the beans, it it compacts them into a puck, and uh, the it it extracts the uh, espresso espresso espresso. Ooh. Yeah, you uh, almost just got kicked off the show. Yeah, you got to edit that out. <laughs> you got. I'm gonna, I'm gonna raise the volume on it. I'm gonna have you screaming that. <laughs> espresso espresso espresso, and then uh, you know the puck goes into a little thing. So it's it's and then all the barista really has to do, as far as the espresso goes, is catch it. Um. So some of some of this, I, like I thought it had said that it was like all of it was prepped by the robot. So I'm wondering how off center some of these burgers end up yeah. um, unless there's like a, just a cylinder that everything has to fit into that. It just, you know, plops everything in in order. Ladies and gentlemen out there listening, if any of you live in Pasadena, California, please don't travel for this. All right. I am not <laughs> reimbursing for any travel expenses, but at 561 East Green Street corner of green and madison in pasadena california you can go have some robots make you lunch uh would love to hear because you can apparently watch like it's designed in such a way that you order at a self ordering kiosk thing and then um you watch the stuff be made yeah yeah open kitchen right now this is my next thought to go back to that article we were talking about about counter service i as a restaurant and a hospitality industry professional I'm always looking for ways to take the power out of the hands of customers in a negative sense. But I do want customers to have as much information as possible. I want them to be as safe as possible for like allergen purposes and stuff like that. And I want things to be as precise as possible, right? So it's tough to write a menu because you don't want to have too much information on there, but you have to have some. You can't just be like sandwich, right? And then somebody's like, ooh, I'd like the sandwich because you have to have something in there, but you can overwhelm people fairly quickly too with terminology they don't understand or just too many words right self-ordering kiosk right maybe this is the key and we'll see this in the next year maybe the next two years maybe this is the key to the um going to a counter service model where you buy one of these systems there's a boba place my daughter and i go to where we legitimately don't have to talk to anybody before we even get to the counter there's this on the wall a kiosk you can order everything you want and there are certain things you can modify certain things you can't and when they're out of stuff it's shaded and you can't even try to order it right so it takes all of those communication issues completely out of the out of the mix right and then if you as a customer who are just determined to have a bad day get not what you wanted it is your fault yeah and i Love that idea, and you've already paid for it, so fuck all the way off, right yeah. into the sun. The on, the only way things could get messed up there is if uh, 
Well, no, no, I'm thinking of more robotic stuff. Yeah, I mean, if you if you type something in wrong, or if 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 it's a robot that's preparing the food, if someone put mustard in the ketchup hose, yeah. then you know. But the likelihood of that happening is uh, less. Mean, yes, the humans in the kitchen might make a mistake on your order. That happens, ladies and gentlemen. If you've ever had a server tell you at your table, ah, the kitchen must have screwed that up. I'll take it back and have them remake it. <laughs> <laughs> the server did it wrong. The server yes. it's one of three things happened. The kitchen messed it up, which is entirely possible. Happens very infrequently. Way less frequently than you would think. Or you ordered it wrong because you're a cranky customer who wants you're just bound and determined to have a bad day. Or the server wrote it down wrong or put it into the computer wrong or hit the wrong button or something. That's the point of failure is that server. Not a knock on servers, they're also human beings. They have to decode whatever nonsense it is you said, customer, and then write it down, remember it, get it to the computer, and type it incorrectly so that the kitchen can make it correctly, right? Very infrequently did the kitchen fuck it up or forget it. Whenever a server says to you, oh, the kitchen forgot that, I'll ask him to rush it. They forgot to put it in. The server did not order that thing. Now, if all of that's being done through a self-ordering kiosk, you fucked it up, customer, so now you deal with it. Yeah. Uh, um... So in, in a similar vein, though a little off-topic perhaps, Kayla sent me this. I don't know how she happened upon this, but it's the uh, the subreddit, um, I didn't have eggs. Um, which And we've talked about this before, but like um, this is, uh, for instance, this is one of them. These are reviews left on different spaces, uh, different places. Uh, I was a fan of this recipe, but I followed the recipe to a T, and it came out quite <laughs> runny and watery. Next time, I'll add more, more flour and less oat milk. The reply... This recipe doesn't call for oat milk. Cream, as stated, will result in a thicker, luxurious sauce without the need for fl for flour. Nice. So, uh, obviously didn't follow it to a T. Um, and one of them is a one-star review on something. Is like, okay, so I didn't make this recipe. <laughs> <laughs> and then tells a story about a different kind of vanilla... Uh, or, um, uh, what, vanilla... No, it's banana pudding. So, uh, it was talking about using vanilla wafers and just using the recipe off the box. But, uh... Yeah, um, and we've talked about it with the guy that, like, I didn't have chicken, so I used shrimp, and this yeah. was terrible, or something like that. I was like, well, yeah, of course. In that same Facebook group, Chicago Hospitality, there was a restaurant, like a kitchen manager kind of guy, who just wrote in, what is the deal with wedge salads these days? It's It was a bad idea in the 70s, it's a bad idea now, it is not on our menu, and people keep asking us for it, and how about everybody just go to hell? The very first comment was from someone going, what, you don't have lettuce in your kitchen? You don't have tomatoes in your kitchen? You don't have blue cheese dressing in your kitchen? Just make what the customer wants. And I commented back to that person, tell me you're that annoying server who essentially goes down on a table making the most bonkers annoying requests for the kitchen that are off menu without really telling me. And then that person <laughs> blocked me. And I was like, oh, yeah, there you are. I see you. I see you. You are that server. And, again, it's the tipping culture. The server is going to go way out of their way because they don't work for the restaurant. They work for the customer. Yeah. Way out of their way to make up the most insane bananas shit that's not on the menu and then send it back to the kitchen. Thanks. Like, no. How about as kitchen people, as kitchen managers and chefs and sous chefs and line cooks, we start pushing back internally. And when we get an order in that's that bonkers, we hand the ticket back and we say, no. You go tell them no. You go tell them, order off the menu, or get out. Right? Yeah. How about we start doing that? Because, again, if there's a kiosk, we don't have that server. We have a person at the kiosk going, why can't I find a wedge salad? And it's, like, it's not on there. That's why. You're at the wrong yeah. restaurant. Well, I mean, and to some of it, you wouldn't walk into a Chevy dealership 
or not even the dealership. You wouldn't walk into a Chevy factory and say, build me a Jeep. Right. And they they right. say no. And you say, what? You tell me you don't have steel back there? You don't have tires? You don't have a transmission? Well, yeah, we have all those things. But guess what? They're not configured to build the thing that you say you want. So go somewhere yeah. else. Um, that same person that I replied to further down in those comments replied to somebody saying, yeah, I don't know what the deal is with hard-boiled eggs either. We keep getting people asking for hard-boiled eggs on their salad. I don't have a half an hour to stop what I'm doing and hard-boil some eggs. And she was like, it doesn't take a half hour to hard-boil eggs. And the reply to that was, go into your kitchen right now. Boil water. That takes 10 minutes. So then put the eggs in. That takes 10 more minutes. So then cool the eggs down, peel them, and chop them. That takes 10 more minutes. Fuck off. And this, <laughs> this is the problem with the front of the house. To a certain degree, we do it to ourselves by being so good in the kitchens we make the servers believe that we're magicians, that we can just make anything happen all the time. And the servers are like, hell yeah, they can do it. Stop doing that. We can't. We don't have time. And that's the thing. Yes, it takes a half an hour to hard-boil eggs. Maybe we're not standing in front of those eggs for that entire half hour, but we have to stop what we're doing. Go find an egg. Go find a pot to boil it in. Take up space on the stove. Stop everything else we're doing. And that shuts down the flow of service. Like, how about this, servers? The equivalent of hard-boiling an egg for you how about you've got five tables. I need you to go shovel. Go shovel yeah. the sidewalk. Yeah, it's only going to take you five minutes, but I need you to go put your boots on, put your coat on, find gloves, go outside, shovel for a while, hurt yourself, come back in, put the shovel away, go get some salt, put that on the sidewalk. Yeah, it's going to ruin all the flow of your service. Yeah. Bunch of jerks. Well, and there's, I mean, if, you, if hard-boiled eggs are part of it, then they're prepped ahead of time yep and then at some point they might run out and then they're that you know they're done uh, because the the scheduled time for prepping that part of that line is not in the middle of service yeah uh, and her response yeah. was have a prep guy do it be like it's seven o'clock on a saturday night prep guys worked they're home already right <sighs> why don't you what? i mean if it's that easy to hard boil an egg leave your five tables hard yeah. boil an egg you do it yeah yeah I, I mean, again, there's a lot of good reasons why I don't work in full-service a la carte restaurants anymore. And part of it is that baseline stress of knowing at any given moment somebody who is wildly ignorant for no bad or good reason, they just don't know what they're talking about, will speak authoritatively to you about the thing that you know what how to do and then criticize you for not doing it. It's like, you were wrong to begin with, and I have to accept your criticism now? Get out of town yeah <laughs> there's i forget who said it it's a quote that i should probably uh tattoo on me somewhere it's uh i refuse to accept criticism from someone i would not also accept advice from and now i apply that shit liberally man that's like butter on toast i'm putting that everywhere somebody will say something to me and i'll look at them and i'll be like do not accept yeah because <laughs> you don't have to turns out if somebody comes up to you and is telling you how to do your job if they can't do your job you don't have to listen to them it's fucking yeah. great yeah yeah simple as that so short story steve and i were right restaurants are gonna go to <laughs> to counter service here's the thing we brought this up but we did not have an answer to it so if anybody else out there has an answer i would love to hear it we need to rebrand counter service counter service is the milieu of your burger kings and mcdonald's right and so there are all of these echelons of restaurants there's fast casual there's mom and pop there's diner there's fine dining right there's all these things there needs to be a better word or phrase for counter service that empowers the customer and makes them feel like they have a certain amount of control and because self-service isn't quite it right but some some sort of a thing so that we can carve out a new niche in restaurant 
in hospitality in this country that is cool, that is appropriate, that, like you said, expectation-wise, sets people up to go, I know what I'm going to get here. I know... I don't know about the quality of food necessarily. I don't know about the variety of food. I don't know exactly what they're offering. But I know service-wise what to expect. Because if you, again, I can't really criticize these people, but if you go into a restaurant where you've had servers before and they've suddenly switched to counter service, you are not having your expectations met. And that is that is kind of the fault of the restaurant. So if you're going to switch to this, advertise it. you got to yeah. let people know. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I I brought this up before, but there's the one time that Panera Bread was like every other every I really depended on which one I walked in, what kind of service, and so if I was walking into a new Panera Bread, I was like, I don't, I need to figure out how they're doing this because they were uh, experimenting with service styles in in different restaurants, and it was so confusing. Um, yeah, but well, uh, and, and we've talked about this too that maybe the gap between everything else and served food needs to broaden right like let's go back to you dress up to go to a restaurant you're on your best behavior you know you're ha- gonna have an amazing meal you know you're gonna get pampered but make that that much more expensive let's make it more exclusive let's make it into a special event kind of a thing because that's the other thing the the idea of the service model trickling quote down through the different echelons of restaurants has made it so that there's not the value associated with it anymore. It doesn't cost a lot to do that. And so people don't have the value associated with it. Like, are you going to go to a fine dining restaurant and yell at the server? Of course you're not. If there's white tablecloths and there's like a sommelier and stuff, are you going to yell at the server about the price of your steak? No, you're not going to do that because there's a value associated with the entire experience. At a mom and pop place, you're going to do that. If you're only dropping 20 bucks, yeah, you're going to yell at that person. So maybe that needs to be, that gap needs to be even more to make it stand out more that it's a special event, that it is some sort of a thing that you are wearing nicer clothes, you're behaving better, you're having a a good time on purpose. Yeah. And and, um, I agree, I don't think self-serve is is the right way to go, but that does bring up uh, the fact that at some point in this country, all gas stations were full service. Yeah. And full service where they'd come out, they'd wash your window, they'd check your oil, all, all kinds of other things. I presume, judging by movies I've seen, I don't yeah. know. I never lived in that time. But um, but that, we managed to shift away from that, unless you're in New Jersey. Um, or Oregon, yeah. Uh, so um, it's possible. I think it's possible to, to have a paradigm shift where we, we no longer view restaurants as a place where we have to be weighted on hand and foot not just weighted yeah. on but hand and foot so yeah I, there's got to be a, a cooler way to describe what what we think of when we th- when we say counter service um because yeah fast casual sounds kind of cool it does um oh casual and fast yeah i like it <laughs> um uh, mom and pop even tells you a little bit about something and and is not an uncool yeah um turn of phrase so uh something other than counter service which is is okay but could be better marketing wise especially if we're going to be shift to it yeah it needs to be a new a completely new phrase or term yeah yeah all i can think of is slogans like our space your pace you know yeah i almost want to have the ordering kiosk be like outside or like so let's say you are renovating a restaurant to go to this style where the host stand was, that's where your ordering kiosk is. So it's like right through the airlock, you know, and then it's right there. 
And honestly, you know what would be even cooler? Ooh, I don't know how you would do this unless you had some sort of an integrated system that had cameras over each of the tables or motion sensors. But if you, if there was also a map on the kiosk of the available tables in the place, and you would hit what table you were going to go sit at as well, so that the system knew how many people were in house and how many tables were available. And after a while, if all the tables were full, dine in went away as a option as well. And all the food that could be ordered right there would be either bar or to go. That would be cool. That's a more and complicated system than we're probably prepared for right now. I don't know. I well, I mean, if you have, uh, it depends. I think you'd. I don't know how you'd prevent people from pushing tables together if that was a thing. Um, so you either have to bolt your if if you were gonna keep track of it electronically or something because as they they do it in parking garages. Yeah. Um, they well, know you would, you would electrify the tables. Yeah, <laughs> just shock people if they try to move them, or just bolt them down. It's like no, these yeah. this is if 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 you have that many people, then this is you know this this table seats however many people, and you hope a two top doesn't go and sit at it. Because that's the one piece of it that's tricky is tables. Because let's say you're wildly successful and you've got lots of people, the worst thing you want to have is somebody walks up to the counter because their food is ready, they grab their food, and there's no place for them to sit. You don't want that. That would ruin... Like, that's an expectation. You go to a restaurant where you're going to be eating at the restaurant, you should have a chair, right? Yeah. And that, there's no getting around that. So either what it is is it's long tables where people are eating communally and you just hope everybody kind of squeezes together, or you have to have some sort of a table uh, maintenance system built into your ordering system. Yeah pressure plates under each uh, <laughs> table so that you know if someone's sitting there or not well um, i mean you've got you've got to have bussers in a place like this because even though the people are clearly going to be going up to the counter or the bar or whatever to get their food you can't also expect in every case that people are going to bust their tables so you've got a, a button or an app or some sort of a thing where when somebody busts a table and cleans it they hit a single button and that table is available again yeah yes like uh, like they do at um, drive-ins, where when you yeah. want your tray picked up, you flip the switch. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's got to be some sort of a, a hybrid as well, where you don't have servers, but you might still have a food runner, you know, a couple food runners, a couple bussers. Because you're right, you're going to yeah. need people cleaning tables. And then and then you have, what, restaurant in the round? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Where uh, the kitchen's in the middle, and then the, everyone's just kind of running out to the tables when the when the food is ready but with the knowledge that i mean just so long as you're setting the expectation of this person bringing your food like if you have an issue you go back to your app or whatever um you know you're not asking them for extra ketchup because you didn't put it in the thing or you get the little robots that take it out yeah yeah um and then you know you're not gonna because you're not gonna ask the robot oh can i get an extra an extra ranch dressing or whatever well and so again that's where like you can't tech your way out of stupid but like there are ways to either it's an, a kiosk like that or when you walk in there's a giant qr code on the floor and you hit it with your phone and then yeah if you're if you do operate a food runner and buzzer system the food runner comes up to your table and drops your food off and you go oh can i also get up and the food runner just points at that qr code that's also on your table and you have to reorder from your phone and get the fuck back in line yeah so if you want an extra ranch you should have thought about that and now it's going to take a minute yeah 
I mean, whenever we order pizza via an app, uh, you know, before you go, I'm going to check out now. And I was like, hey, do you want? And it will either list sauces or, yeah. you know, it'll be like, did you forget the breadsticks or whatever? So and that's to try to upsell, of course. But also yeah. it's like, yeah, if you are at a wing place and you're ordering via kiosk, hopefully that's programmed in to pop up. Is like, do you want extra blue cheese? Do you want any right. of these things? And it's like, this is an extra quarter, this is an extra 50 cents, this is an extra $3 or whatever it is, so that, you know, we're not um, watching money walk out the door via the extra whatever. Yep. Yeah. Well, and at that point, it is in nobody's best interest, as far as employees of the restaurant go, to try to cheat the restaurant to get something out of the customer, right? Like, nobody has that as their their impulse, right? Their incentive. And so suddenly it is back to, I work for this restaurant. You have ordered a thing. I have delivered the thing to you. We are now done. Yeah. You paid for it. Eat your food. Go away. Right. Does that make it a shade more impersonal? Yeah. Is it now more about the food, which is what every cook in the world wants it to be anyway? Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, you are ordering through this QR code app you are uh, you can walk into that place and after a while hit a single button and get your regular. If it is in the round, the cooks might know you, give you a peace sign or whatever on your way in, things like that. Like there's no reason for it to be wildly impersonal, but the power then shifts back to the commerce of it, which is you ordered a thing, you paid for the thing, here's the thing, we're done. There's not a, any reason for a conversation or for yelling or for drama. Yeah. So here's here's something that somebody needs to invent. So it's uh, the key, each kiosk. Remember how they used to have those little jukeboxes at the table, or at, at I haven't been to a Chili's in years. But Chili's, the servers used to have a you they'd leave that thing on the table and you could buy games even. Red Robin has that too. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever I've that been, system is. I've been is. to a Red Robin like twice in my life, but one time my daughter played one of the games on one of those things, and she still talks about it. <laughs> Did you have to pay for it, or was it a? This was before they started charging for it. Okay. But you're right. You could also reorder on that thing. Um, well, so it's kind of like that, or maybe it's built in um, like the old uh, Miss Pac-Man table or whatever. So the table <laughs> is like has a screen, and you're just using like a LaCars system for Star Trek where you're ordering via the table. The tabletop is a touchscreen. But anyway, the, the it has a credit card reader or whatever. And I this, I think I would want to be physical – instead of just a touch and it's like an ATM where it locks your card in yeah. and then there's just like a, a button somewhere for like extra ranch or extra marinara yeah. or whatever it is. And every time you hit that, your bill goes up. And then when you're done, you're like, you cash out, then it releases your card. You pull your card out and it charges <laughs> the final bill, you know, so you're not paying ahead of time and then trying to get free things either accidentally, incidentally, or on purpose um, th throughout the meal. So the problem you're solving for here, I agree, is a problem. You're solving it in a way that is more generous to the customer. I want to go the other way. I want to solve this problem in a way that also teaches the customers how to behave <laughs> next time, which is you order, you pay, and then you wait for your food. If you get your food and realize that you forgot something, I want it to be another couple of steps for you to get that thing. So next time, when you order, you order more thoughtfully. I don't... I don't <sighs> The age of service where the coddling is happening needs to happen at such a high level of cost. Yeah. And the responsibility for getting the order right and paying attention and thinking about stuff ahead of time needs to go back onto the customer at these, quote, lower levels of service 
so that we don't waste any time and effort and drama and all that kind of stuff with the back and forth nonsense. That's what I want to solve for. And yeah. putting the responsibility and the onus on to the customer fixes more of those things for me. And it makes me feel better. Yeah. I'm like, you didn't order wrench. That's not me. Don't right. get mad at me. I didn't fuck up your wrench. You didn't order it. The problem is yours. I can fix it for you, but we need to acknowledge you screwed this up, not me. Yeah, it is not the restaurant's job to anticipate your whim. Correct. Now, at a much higher level of service and at a much higher cost of service, maybe that's the case. Like these places now, which keep like these huge dossiers on all their customers, and they're like, oh, you know, Mr. So-and-so is here. You know how he likes his martini? I'm like, well, okay, fine. Well, that's what you are paying for at that higher level of service. Yes. The expectation that every single restaurant in the country behaves that way is silly. You're not paying for them to behave that way. And in many cases, you're not paying at all, customers, because you're holding that tip like a hammer. Yeah. It all comes back to tipping. Um, okay, so I'm going to change gears again here a little bit. Okay. Um, because what you were saying about the dossiers reminded me of a – let me see if I can find it. Um, yeah, Cana it was Canadia. Um, so – I'm going to send you this article. I don't know if it's exactly the one that I saw, and I will give you the rundown. Um, oh, I just sent that to Kayla. <laughs> there we go. Um, so uh, this, someone went up to, I believe it was an M&M vending machine, though I don't know as it, I don't know as it was run by Mars M&Ms, went up to the vending machine and was going to order something, and there was an error code. Um, and the error code said invenda.vending.facialrecognition.app.exe. And the student was like, what? Facial recognition? And so uh, the gist of it was that the vending company was saying that what they were going to do is they were going to be able to um, catalog age and gender of the customers that were using the thing. And the way they were doing that was with facial recognition technology. And the student said, hey, we didn't know about this. This is a gross uh, intrusion on our privacy, even though it wasn't, in theory, cataloging people by as individuals. It was just trying to categorize them demographically. Yeah. Um, no, the, no one knew that. So they've removed them. The, the University of Waterloo was like, no, we were going to get rid of them. Um, and... Uh, but but just that that I I did not think I mean I don't know when the last time I used a vending machine was but my, it never would occur to me that it was taking a picture of my face and storing that somewhere in right. order to try to put me into a box some kind of box. Well, and the internet never forgets. So this is one of those internet of things technologies where that is not being stored in that machine. There is no way because now oh, yeah. one of the things that I actually kind of one of the technologies I kind of like is this. Not a self-refilling kind of a thing, but like a machine like that will track usage. And so when someone does come to refill it, they already know what needs to go in there, right? Because it's in contact with its home office or distribution facility or whatever. That information about what your face, uh, about your face connected with your purchase, that information is not staying in that machine. That is going to an office somewhere. And it's going there via the internet. And the yeah. internet never forgets. 
And it's it's going to be used then to try to figure out what it sells best on the campus of the University of Waterloo. But it's also going to be compiled into other data sets in terms of, you know, who's who really likes peanut M&Ms? Oh, yeah. it's 30-year-old men or it's 26-year-old women or whatever it is. And I'd say it's more granular than that. That is a block of information that that company can sell to advertisers who are going to find out that it is you, yeah. where you live. <laughs> And they're going to target advertise on social media and in flyers and in stuff like that directly to you as an individual. And that company that makes money building vending machines and selling stuff out of vending machines has a side hustle selling information about you in particular. Because they say, oh, it's not, it, it doesn't store the faces. It doesn't know who you are. It totally does. Because most of those machines are now equipped with a card reader. It knows who you are. It knows exactly who you are, and it knows where you live, and now it knows which vending machine you use, so it can kind of figure out what classes you take at that university because of what time you go to that machine, what the location of the machine is on campus, and it that's all data that can be sold to an advertiser or to some sort of a... Uh, a conglomerate company that's going to use that to target advertisements at you and all of that is fairly benign until that information then gets hacked yeah yeah and then we find out where where you are when and and yeah but but even i mean we we've kind of jokingly talked about it but you talk about clicking on something that you don't click on anything in your instagram feed anymore if you see something that actually interests you you'll try to go outside of instagram which is still feeding them the beast a little bit in terms yeah. of uh, the the you know because internet as all Google will then know or whoever whatever search engine right. unless you're using DuckDuckGo or or one of the others that claim to not Bing yeah keep that information um, uh, but yeah I mean if you if you've recently gone to the University of Waterloo and bought M and M's from a vending machine again not our Mars M and M but this is Invenda the company that produces yeah. machines. Um, but now suddenly you're getting Eminem advertisements on your Facebook page or in your Insta or on TikTok or whatever. I, I you know, it. There's a reason that conspiracy theor- theories about that kind of thing abound because sometimes it's like this is this just can't be a coincidence. So Invenda, the company that produces the machine, advertises its use of demographic detection software which it says can determine gender and age of customers. It claims the technology is compliant with GDPR, the European Union's privacy standards. But it is unclear whether it meets Canadian equivalents. That's like saying, officer, on the freeway I can go 70, so it's okay if I go 70 in this school zone, right? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> and also, like, uh, what, is it, what did it say? It, it claims that it's compliant. Okay, that's fine, but does it, like, when you're saying, yeah, let's put some of these vending machines in there, and like, okay, let me tell you about this technology that's part of this, that's probably not in bold print at the top of the right. brochure. At least in the U.S., I don't know about Canada, at least in the U.S., if you're being surveilled, there has to be a sign, right? So, like, if you put up security cameras uh, at a business or in some sort of a public space, you have to put up a sign that says these premises are, are you know, uh, equipped with video surveillance or something like that. If that machine is in the States, it would be illegal for it to have a camera on it and not have a sign to let you know. Yeah, that you're being recorded. Yeah. Now, residential, because I do, I have security cameras on my house. Residential is a little trickier. You can put up cameras and you don't have to put a sign up. But if your neighbor notices that the camera looks like right into their bathroom, then there could be a problem there. There's like a radius that you're not allowed to surveil in on your neighbor's property, but you don't have to put a sign up. People do to just be like, hey, anybody who wants to steal packages off my front step, there's a yeah. camera here. 
there's one of the houses I walk by sometimes when I'm walking the dogs that's got a camera. And it, there's this, um, I, it's like one of the only alleys in Niles. Um, it's just an unpaved that goes between the backs of some houses. Um, but it's le- like a legit thing. Anyway, um, and it used to, it scared the tar out of me the first couple times it happened. But now I'm used to it because we'll walk by and at some point it triggers and I'll say, hi, you're currently being recorded <laughs> in this, in this uh, uh female voice and it, the first few times i jumped even even uh, you know after the first time when i knew it was there because it's just so it it's so abrupt when it yeah. starts but now i'm i'm used to it i was like eh, i'm just walking my dogs but um there's a uh, it's a fake camera and it's a solar panel powered thing that you can get that uh it's slightly too large to really be like a security camera but it swivels so that solar charge just makes it turn a little bit and you're supposed to put it like up onto the second floor of your house looking over your front yard or something as a deterrent it's not actually a camera thing costs like 25 bucks i saw it on amazon a while back uh and that cracked me up and it's like designed to make kind of like a kind of a noise yeah as well it's brilliant it's like the fake owls people put up in their yard for was that for mice uh, uh generally that scares away other birds from what I oh okay so yeah it's like that thing uh but i love it of course it's too big it's like the whole thing with like whenever you see a needle on tv or uh movies yeah. that's way bigger than any needle you'd ever <laughs> stick in your arm because they want to get it on camera so yeah. uh yeah. um yeah it's just it's it's bigger and then you put it on the second story so that it's too far away to actually notice that it's bigger and it's going to make a loud servo noise so that people are like oh no robocop <laughs> All right. Um, I am, I don't know what's going on with my voice. I'm starting to get a little scratchy. So I hope I'm not getting sick. I would like to wrap this up real quick. Um, but I do want to talk about bananas. Oh, yeah. Did we, did we, we touched already on talk it. about this banana article or no? No, we didn't. We But we had mentioned um, when we were talking, I forget what we were talking about. Oh, we were talking about the cheeses that we yes. mentioned yeah, yeah, b- yeah, bananas in that. But we no, we didn't talk about your, your banana. So this is an article that comes to us uh, via a listener. Craig, thank you for this. This is from um, I cannot ABC uh, News in Australia. Genetically modified banana resistant to Panama disease given approval for Australian consumption. So this is another, you know, it's a GMO product. Somebody has uh, taken a bit of a banana that is resistant to this fungus that is trying to destroy the cavendish bananas stuck it into a cavendish banana and it apparently works pretty well but it had to go through you know whatever the australian version of the fda is before they could start marketing it and they were just given approval so, yeah, so there could there could be hope steve yes um which is great i mean i i cannot lie i do like uh, cavendish banana yeah um so uh yeah i'm i'm okay with that is it um that article uh and and it's similar to uh the the tomato you said that one of the things bringing it all the way back around to what we talked about initially the purple tomato you can't it it can only be grown in the u.s that's because it's not approved elsewhere so it, it and maybe some countries will never allow gmo i don't know but uh it is it is a gm genetically modified organism um because they did some gene splicing or whatever to get make it purple and so they've done the same thing which is interesting to me that they had to do it that way because they're talking banana, bananas and bananas, not like oranges and apples. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or or tomatoes and snapdragon flowers. Yeah. Right. Exactly. 
Um, so it, these are they, they couldn't do it through hybridization. They had to do a gene splicing something or other in order to get the uh, resistant gene. Like maybe hybridization, like these bananas are resistant, but they all taste like dirt. Yeah. Um, so, so to get it to do what they wanted, they had to do some gene splicing. Yeah, or it could have been faster. Yeah, they that's true, too. It could have just been too. way, way faster. So for context, Panama TR, TR4 is a fungal disease that starves banana trees of nutrients, eventually killing the plant. A genetically modified banana, uh, sorry, I want to skip that part. Scientists say the QCAV-4 variety is the world's first genetically modified banana and will be the first GM fruit approved by the federal government for growing in Australia. It's unlikely to end up on your toast or your smoothie anytime soon. While scientists say they will be safe to eat, the GM variety will be considered a, quote, backup option in the fight against Panama Tropical Race 4, TR4, as this banana is nearly immune to the disease. So um, that's good news, but it makes me wonder why they're using it as a backup option and not just like flooding everywhere with it. Well, yeah, especially because there are some, what do you call a bunch of banana trees? Is it an orchard or is it a grove? grove plantation? Um, uh, plantation, yeah. Um, th there are some that have been decimated by this. Yeah. Um, and and so the Cavendish banana is not grown as, in as many places currently as it used to be. So, but I is, I don't so I don't know why they're not. I mean, maybe there's still hope that, <laughs> or they just need more more buy-in. But in terms of, and and I, I will I will go on record saying is this type of genetic modification I am okay with. Even yeah. the purple tomato, I'm I I'm I would eat one. Um, there, I think this thing can be taken too far. There need to be guardrails and that sort of thing. But maybe it's just because... Well, and, and something like this would be like, look, you can either be okay with a little bit of genetic modification in your food because we've been doing it through hybridization yeah. forever. And selective breeding, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you can either be okay with it or you can eat a plantain instead of a banana. And yeah. And I mean, plantains are fine. I like plantains and that there could be, I mean, I could envision a world where, or the red bananas you were talking about from yep. uh, Puerto Rico, uh, that where the Cavendish banana is no more. And I mean, that's not going to end humanity as we know it, but it's also kind of cool that this kind of thing can happen and be like, you know what, we've, we've found a way to make this even more resilient. Now, now when it becomes uh, a plant that we can't kill no matter what we do to it through, <laughs> you know, freezing fire pestilence or anything else and it takes over the planet and earth becomes the banana grove or you know uh then then that's an issue but you know well to go back to the article there is currently no treatment or cure for panama tr4 because the disease lives in soil infected areas can no longer grow most banana types including the popular cavendish variety why or maybe this is the plan why aren't they then going well we have this one qcav4 We'll take those areas that are already yeah. inoculated with Panama TR4, and we will plant our trees there, right? Like, why isn't that the move? And then, like, steadily replace as opposed to – I mean, like, you wouldn't want to do slash and burn. Like, I'm sure some of the regular Cavendish banana trees are doing just fine. But right. as groves become infected with this, why not just cut them down and put these new ones in? Yeah. Um, and and maybe, maybe that's what they mean by backup. Yeah. Or or maybe there's enough of a flavor difference that it's just a little bit. Someone's like, I don't know, there's something something strange about this banana. Um, but they said it. I mean, it's it's basically a Cavendish banana that's resilient, right? So uh, I just scrolled down this article a little bit. 
RGM banana safe. Scientists discovered a gene that is nearly immune to Panama TR4 in a banana called Musa acuminata SSP malacentis, a wild banana that occurs in a number of parts of Southeast Asia, and were able to create a variety of Cavendish that included that gene. We have moved a banana gene from one banana to another, said Professor Dale. I don't know that I trust somebody whose name is Professor Dale, by the way. <laughs> well, especially if he's standing next to Professor Chip. Right. <laughs> So then the quote here, there's nothing scary. The gene was already present in Cavendish bananas. It just doesn't work. So we have put in a version that works. Okay, great. Yeah. So yeah, that shouldn't change flavor then pr flavor profile at all, right? Right. So uh, he said that the Panama disease TR4 was fairly well under control in Australia and biosecurity arrangements were really limiting its spread. However, that may change. So this is really our safety net. Okay, so this, they are planning on doing what I was just saying. Cavendish bananas are not going to disappear, but this banana is ready to go through if TR4 really gets going and starts to hurt our industry. So they're, they're going to do what I just suggested. As groves become infected with this thing, they're just going to put this new one in. And that, that yeah. seems like a good move. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, because the, what, what you don't want is uh, what's happened in Florida. And I know the industry has changed anyway, but the orange industry in Florida is not what it used to be. And so many orange groves have been developed into housing or or other things. Um, and part of it was because and I somebody, somebody correct me, please. Because this is honestly just what I heard, and I don't know if this is accurate. I heard this when I was living in Florida, so it w it came from a Floridian, which at the time seemed like a um, reliable thing. But now, knowing what I know about Florida, that maybe makes it less reliable. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, that a lot of or that because Florida is uh, barely tropical, or the end of Florida is tropical, Sub subtropical, yeah. Um, that uh, oranges grew well but it did, did get cold enough in some parts of the state to uh, hurt the trees so a lot of orange trees were grafted onto lemon tree roots because lemon trees were more resilient um just in terms of you know everyday living surviving um some issues that might occur either cold or or, or wet or dry or whatever but that only worked for a certain number of years before the lemons be, or before the oranges became too tart. Oh, okay. So seems reasonable. Don't know if yeah. it's actually true. But anyway, so there's a lot of orange groves that just went fallow. No, no oranges are being chosen. There's also a, a fungus of some kind because there's a department in Florida that even if you just have your own tree in your yard, they're going to come in there and look at it and they're going to tell you if you can keep it or not. Oh wow! Because they don't want to uh, the fungus or whatever it is spreading to legitimate. Uh, um, you know, producers well, of juice oranges and yeah, commercial oranges. Yeah, so uh, so anyway, I, I just it and like I said, the industry has changed, and I'm sure practices have changed. Maybe they're getting higher yields from the orange groves that they still have, but I know there's huge swaths of Florida that used to be orange grove that no longer are, and I, whether that's good or bad, I don't know. But it would just be like if you already have the banana trees in a place. To just to let it turn back into tundra or whatever, uh, depending on where it is in Australia, I guess. Yeah. Instead of being a viable source of uh, bananas, because everybody loves bananas. And, and you know what else we love? Cheap bananas. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it turns out that this, you know, now that they've gotten approval for this particular banana to be sold to the public, uh, these scientists are apparently going ham. They've got two other diseases that affect bananas 
that they're going to try to do another version of this genetically modified banana that will uh, be resistant to cigatoka, which is a leaf-infecting fungus, as well as certain pests. The idea there, the marketing there, is we want to get away from using so many pesticides, so we want to make the banana more resistant to whatever it is, bugs or something like that. That's where it gets tricky. Yeah. Because that... As long as it's a banana-to-banana gene movement, fine. I'm okay with that part. But as soon as they're like, well, you know what resists these bugs? Frogs. So we're going to put some frog (laughs) DNA in there. You know what you get? Jurassic Park. And I don't need that, you know. Yeah. Bananasaurus. Nah, I'm good. Yeah, we we don't need a a 20-foot banana stalking uh, Seattle or wherever they took the T-Rex. 10 of 10 would watch that movie, though. But we don't need that shit in real life. (laughs) Right, right. I mean, would Jeff Goldblum would have to be in it, but would he like just be the person fighting the banana, or would he be the banana? I was gonna say, let's do Terminator Two, right? So you take the bad guy and you make him the good guy. Take the good guy, and make him the bad guy. So yeah, Jeff Goldblum is the Bananasaurus. Yeah, he's working to stop banana plight and accidentally, <laughs> like the fly, it's like kind the of fly. <laughs> becomes the banana. Right. <laughs> yep i love it all right steve i feel like that's all that i have the uh vocal range for today i need to, i better not be getting sick i have to go back to work in a couple of days well you did record like three times this week so that is also true so next week we will talk about there is a very very experimental allergy preventing food allergy preventing drug called zolaire and it's just been approved by the fda so we'll talk about that there's also been a heist and uh raw cheese is making people sick shock and horror <laughs> yes although as far as i understand it's not related to amos miller at all that yeah as far as we know <laughs> ladies and gentlemen if you um are hybridizing bananas or if you have any information about flippy's restaurant and if you've tipped there come the fuck on seriously <laughs> please let us know best way to get a hold of us is in the weeds wbr at gmail.com my instagram is chef ben randall where actually i made another batch of hot dog buns because i have someone who's interested in purchasing hot dog buns from me which is wild uh and you'll see all of my garden starts and that sort of thing that i'm going to do soon we have a facebook page and a facebook group where you can send us articles if you would like because we always look at everything and steve runs a website for us in the weeds wbr.com and to our knowledge we are not uh utilizing any facial recognition at this time (laughs) yeah to track any of you good listeners true pretty much all i've got today steve yeah ditto all right for in the weeds with ben randall i am ben randall and i'm steve cadwell we'll talk at you next week bye-bye